Welcome in. It is a special edition of the Husker Extra podcast brought to you by, of course, Husker Extra. It's right here on the shirt. Uh, we are firing up a week-long series breaking down Nebraska's 2022 recruiting class. It's not over entirely yet, uh, as the first guest in this series will be able to well tell you recruiting never sleeps. Uh, even when a cycle's pretty much fully put to bed, the portal lives every single day. Uh, but 28 players uh, so far in the boat, 27 of them officially, Timmy Bleak Road, the kicker from Furman, will be in uh, down the way. That's a little bit in the weeds, but we've got Evan Bland from Omaha World Herald uh, with us today, so we can get way into the weeds. Evan, what's up? How are you? What's going on, Parker? Yeah, this is a fun sort of media potpourri where we get to interact a little bit. And yeah. I feel like you and I are sort of kindred spirits because, like, we're in the, the weeds every day. You know, I, we're on call. We're kind of living and, and dying with what's going on. So it's this is going to be fun. This is good. See, we're so far in the weeds already that I actually forgot probably in the introduction to say I'm Parker Gabriel. I'm hosting this series this week. I just forget to say that because we've got great guests all week. Evan, we'll have Mike Schaefer from 24-7 Sports uh, to talk about offensive skill later in the week. Steve Sipple, you might have heard of him. Uh, he'll be in to talk about defense, and then we'll get we'll cover special teams too. Evan, we're talking offense today, and I find it interesting as a, as a way to start this. When you watched the 2021 Nebraska football team, um, a lot of the talk about where that the program was headed over the course of the season was about how much experience they had on defense, the super seniors, all of the guys that they're going to potentially lose on that. And now you fast forward to the sort of bulk of this recruiting class being put together and the rebuild is on offense. It's not on, I mean, they, they added some guys, especially in the secondary that they'll need to play early on defense, but the offense is where so much of the makeover has happened. What, what do you make of just the fact that they've got 15 players in this class? Um, seven of them are transfers, six division one transfers. It's really transformation isn't it what they're going for from from 2021 to 2022 yeah totally I mean I think it's it's a reflection of how those units fared last year like yeah I mean defensively they lose a number of starters three quarters of the secondary a lot of the defensive line but there was a a culture that had sort of built up there there was a depth where you can kind of even though they're gonna have to replace some guys you can kind of name who that next wave of defenders will be there was sort of an institutional knowledge, uh, a trust maybe that the coaches have with those guys. As we all know, on the offensive side, it was so erratic where, yeah, they, they would have some explosive plays, but I still don't know that we could say that Nebraska has, has had any kind of offensive identity that they can hang their hats on the way that a lot of their Big Ten West peers can. And so that's why you see, you know, four new offensive assistants. That's why you see a new quarterback. And, and I think a, a you know, a sort of profile of a player that's going to be different a little bit, at least from what they've had in the past. And so, I mean, we're talking about a, a quarterback reset where you still have some guys like Logan Smothers and Heinrich Harburg in the room, uh, but your top guy and maybe your top two guys are going to be different than what they've been in the past. You know, running back has been a total, uh, a total crapshoot for a number of years now where, where Nebraska is begging somebody to take, to take that feature role and nobody's done it. Um, you know, the offensive line is in flux. The receiver group looks good, but I think outside of sort of that top three of Omar Manning, Xavier Betts, and Levi Falk, they returned like nine total catches from last year. So there's opportunity all over the place. 
And, you know, on the side of the ball that needed the most work, I think that's where they went out and tried to find some bodies. Okay, so just run through some numbers here quick. Uh, Nebraska has three new quarterbacks, three of its five scholarship quarterbacks, new to the program as of January. Five receivers, two from the transfer portal, three high school guys, three running backs, uh, two high school kids, including A.J. Allen, who just committed on signing day um, last week, uh, Anthony Grant, a junior college guy, and then three offensive linemen, two from the transfer portal, and a high school kid who – with any high school lineman, you, you don't want to have to bank on them to play right away. Justin Evans Jenkins definitely falls in that category. Undersized kid, but an interesting athlete from New Jersey. Um, just a couple of superlatives, Evan, before we get into the weeds and talk quarterbacks. Who is, and maybe we'll talk about quarterbacks right now, who's the biggest win? I know there's a lot of options. Who do you think is the guy that at the end of the day is the biggest win for Nebraska on the offensive side of the ball? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be Casey Thompson, right? Like, I, there are a number of guys that yeah. I would love to discuss other than Casey Thompson. But if you're talking about the biggest win, the biggest impact on next year, it's got to be Casey Thompson. And, and I was thinking about this today, but, like, you think back to December and sort of the early part of the portal season, if, if you will. And there was some, I think, anxiety among the fan base, certainly externally, that, like, whoa, you know, if they don't get – you know, their guy and a number of those guys, those candidates moved on elsewhere. There was this, this sort of nervousness that like, well, you know, if it's Chubba Purdy, this is someone who's got four years left, but he hasn't really been a, a full-time starter at the college level. Do you roll it back with the guys that you have Logan Smothers and Heinrich Harburg? And so just that collective relief, that collective excitement when Casey Thompson came in, I think says a lot. And, and to, to land somebody like that, who is an accomplished you know, power five sort of quarterback who, who excelled in the biggest games in the big 12. And not only that, but was part of sort of a fishbowl environment that's similar right. to Nebraska, where the media and the pressure and the fans and all that is, is sort of ever present. I mean, he, he handled all that. And then you see what he's done in his short time on campus, taking his linemen out for kind of, you know, dinner yeah. and, and a game yep. sort of thing. Like all the intangible stuff is there too. So I think you put all that together, combine that with sort of the, the context of what 2022 is, which is you got to make a bowl game. If you're Scott Frost, yeah, yeah. You show that progress. This is the guy that you had to have because you couldn't go into the season with a guy. You, you just didn't have the, the time to, to develop somebody over the course of multiple years. You needed somebody ready-made. I think Casey Thompson was about as good of a quarterback in that scenario that they could have hoped to have landed. Yeah, it's interesting because you don't, I mean, you don't quite know what you're going to get. He played really well at times. He dealt with a thumb injury uh, that, that seemed to really affect him over the second half of the season. It's not like he's not as big of a name as a guy like Caleb Williams going to USC or, or even Quinn Ewers, who's going to Texas where Casey left. But yeah, I think you're right. Where like you couldn't have found a guy who's been much better, like stress tested in the lab than Casey Thompson has but fighting for the job at Texas understanding what it's like even to play for a coach, you know, an outgoing coach and then a coach who, you know, is on the hot seat pretty much every day if you're at the University of Texas. And so I do, I think obviously he's, he's a critical part of this class. Okay. Before we keep the conversation moving along, who, who's the biggest surprise of this group? And it includes obviously two guys who popped on the radar screen really late uh, in Janiron Bonner and, and, and AJ Allen, who just committed on signing day. Yeah, I, I would say Jan Bonner would be that guy for me. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you were in the same boat where you kind of go into Monday and Tuesday thinking, oh, okay, maybe it's A.J. Allen. 
maybe it's nobody. And right. it turned into kind of that two-step that we're talking about. But Bonner, I mean, it, he, he was so quiet that we didn't even know he was on an official visit until after the fact. And he was, you know, unlike A.J. Allen, who you kind of could piece it together and say, okay, he committed to Brian Applewhite, who's now at Nebraska. Uh, you know, Bonner was somebody that they had offered two and a half years earlier, right? back in 2019. And there was never any, as far as I'm aware, there was never any public sort of traction between him and Nebraska, and there was no connection necessarily with any of their new coaches too. I know Mickey Joseph had a little bit of a say in, in landing him, but this was, this sort of goes against the grain of recent Nebraska history on signing days where so often they lose guys, um, you know, or, or maybe they're in the finalists, they're among the finalists and they don't land somebody. This is that other side of it where not only does Nebraska land an impact four star with some speed like Bonner, but they take him away from, the hometown team. I mean, he's from the right. Atlanta metro area. He was committed to Georgia Tech for a long time. So to land that guy uh, and to bring him into the fold, especially with Nebraska coming off the seasons that they have, I think I, that, that qualifies to me as one of the biggest signing day surprises they've had in years. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so after the second to last visit weekends was when they had A.J. Allen in, and I think they had a junior day that weekend too. And then right after that, in the last full week that the coaches were on the road, uh, Frost, Scott Frost, Mickey Joseph, and Brian Applewhite all went to Louisiana, I think on a Tuesday, to see A.J. Allen. And then after that, I, not only – this is the weird existence that we live in. Um, I know where you're I going. I knew that the, the Frost Express plane was going to Atlanta after that on Wednesday, Tuesday night or Wednesday. And then also Mickey Joseph did a radio interview in Omaha, and they, they started it by asking him on Wednesday morning, hey, Mickey, where are you? And he said, Atlanta. And I, th I just, honestly, I was thought, well, they're recruiting 23s and 24s, you know, they're introducing Mickey to some of the, you know, getting the red N out around the Atlanta area. Sean Beckton obviously does a good job recruiting Georgia for, for Nebraska. And so you get the head coach and the, the new receivers coach who's intimately uh, familiar with SEC country, obviously out on the road. Sure enough, they were after one more piece of the 22 class instead of all that future work. So you just never know when, uh, when a surprise is going to pop up. And you got to give him credit, too, because like in Mickey Joseph's case, too, he had done a ton of work in just the short time he's been in yeah. Nebraska. He yeah. easily could have said, this is a good start. You know, they, they added right. Nicole Crawford and Trey Palmer and uh, some of the existing commits that they had, Victor Jones. And, and you, you could have just gone into spring and said, I like this. I'm going to develop these guys. And, and he hung with it, yeah. kept with it. And to add a guy like Bonner, I mean, it's just a major bonus on top of some serious work he'd already done. Okay, so you got four new coaches on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Scott Frost, and, and especially listening to Frost on the second signing day here, talk about, I mean, it really sounds like he's handing the keys of the offense to Mark Whipple. I mean, he talks about leaving the room and, and Whipple's got it dialed in. Um, so four new coaches, 15 guys in this class on the offensive side of the ball, including seven that have played college football to some degree somewhere else. I mean, you could see a new starting quarterback, a new starting running back, maybe even two somewhere in the, you know, two or three deep. Um, receivers pressing for time. You obviously got to replace Austin Allen, although at tight end, you're talking about returning guys in the program more or less. And then who knows who's going to play where on the offensive line. I mean, this, this, there could be every single starter, prob probably not every single starter, but you could say nine guys when they go to Ireland 
could be either newly in a starting role or playing in a different spot than they played last year as it pertains to the offensive line. I mean, what are, what are the next six months going to be like with this group trying to put together not only, hey, what are we trying to be as an offense, but who is going to help us be that? Right. Well, you know, I think, first of all, when we talk about this class, the one glaring area would be on the line on both sides. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. that's what gives you pods, which is Nebraska's tried some of this before where they load up on skill players and it looks great. But in order to have those guys thrive, you have to be able to block up front and, and have a presence, especially in the Big Ten. So I don't know that. And Scott Frost said as much on Wednesday at his press conference that they're probably shorthanded there. And then you add on top of that the fact that Teddy Prohaska and Turner Corcoran won't be part of spring ball, at least not full go. I mean, that's, that's concerning. I think when you're talking yeah. about gelling a line with a lot of new stars, with a new position coach who, by the way, in Donovan Rayola, who's, who's looking to teach sort of a different style and a different philosophy. So it's, and it's has that, never coached full-time at the college <laughs> level before. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's that position where like, you, you, you can't, it's not just about <clears throat> sort of your personal growth and your personal gains it's about getting used to the guy on your left getting used to the guy on your right at you know five guys acting as one all that stuff so yeah I mean it's I think they have a lot of work to do in that regard uh, certainly on the defensive side too but as it pertains to the offensive linemen and then you talk about you know the guys that they brought in Kevin Williams and, and Hunter uh, Anthony have both been starters elsewhere but they've sort of been you know kind of in and out for various reasons and it's a big ask, I think, to to expect both of those guys to come in and be starters as soon as next year. So then you start going down the line and you say, okay, maybe one of those guys uh, is able to start. And then you have to start uh, looking at guys like Brock Bando, Trent Hickson, what's their development like? Maybe a, a different voice or a different philosophy uh, will go a long way for them. What is Bryce Benhart bringing in his next college season? So it's not even just like, who is it going to be? But it's it's like, what position are they going to play? and right how different is this philosophy from what they were learning under Greg Austin? So I think that's probably the biggest area of concern and the biggest uh, area that they have to, to work to improve before late August. One of the things that's, that's interesting to me, Evan, is that I don't know that they they're in contact with a lot of transfers, right? I mean, there were guy offensive lineman, JD Dorenzo from sacred heart, Traymond shorts from, from uh, East Tennessee state who they wanted to get to campus and they didn't got, you know, it's hard recruiting the portal. You don't just roll out of bed and say, okay, I'll take three guys that were all conference at their last stop, please. I mean, obviously there's a lot of competition. I don't know that I re recall a, like a true center, a guy who played center at the college level ever even talking about visiting or getting close to visiting or anything like that. There's a kid from Washington state that I think has lined up some visits for the spring. And I don't think at this point, Nebraska is one of them like, what is going to happen at center? And if you were if you were the GM, would you be in the looking for a true center in the portal? Or, or I mean, that's got to be near the top of the priority list offensively, right? Is to figure out who's going to be in the middle. Yeah, I mean, I think ideally somebody emerges this spring that can be that guy and can build a rapport with Casey Thompson or whoever it is. You know, I know Nuri Noelli was somebody who has had center experience. He was somebody that they kind of considered their maybe number two or number three behind Juergens last year, but, you know, you think about that position under Frost, like, I mean, Cam Juergens came to college as a tight end and they, they taught him that position on the fly. And, and so I think Noelle is someone, Ethan Piper is someone that they feel like maybe could be that guy. Incidentally, I think their high school 
signee Justin Evans Jenkins, who you mentioned, is somebody who could be that guy in a couple of years. Now, I don't obviously that's that's a huge ask for as a true freshman, but down the road, I think he could be that guy. But in general, their philosophy has been bring in linemen, maybe it's a guard, and then coach them up uh, at center. And that I suppose you would say in the end that was a successful experiment with Cam Jurgens, although there was plenty of, of rough patches along the way. Um, so I think plan A would be somebody emerges who's already on the roster. And man, if, if that's if that doesn't transpire the way that you hope, then yeah, you go back into the portal when spring practices are done and somebody sees the writing on the wall and you hope that that person can get on the same page with Nebraska's offense um, into the fall. But even that, I think, is a big ask to have somebody arrive in the summer and say, be our guy in a month, learn all the calls, learn the plays, learn the protections, uh, get to know these guys. So I, I would really think that their top option would be that somebody would develop here in the next few months. It is going to be interesting. I mean, and you could say the same for a defensive line and really any position on the roster, at least now, if you're looking for a silver lining. And I think you and I agree based on the way this conversation has gone, that offensive line is, is probably you're giving him an incomplete grade for right now that you're probably going to be looking for more help in the portal. But at least now you've got you're going to have in spring ball, Donovan Rail is going to have five weeks to get his hands on these guys, work with them and try to figure out what is it that I need? do I need a guy who is straight up a left tackle? Do I need a swing guy who can play some different spots? Um, you know, are Kevin Williams and Hunter Anthony, do you think about those guys as, like you say, a pair of starters or are they depth guys or are they somewhere in between? How healthy is Teddy Prochaska on April 9th compared to right now? You know, you just hope obviously for him, two more months coming back from that knee injury and, and sort of a way you go into the summer. Uh, there's a lot of questions to be answered there. The picture, now that we've talked about the important stuff, offensive line, let's talk about quarterbacks because I think the picture is a little bit clearer there, but it's still, when you sit back and think about the fact that on December 15th, when, when Scott Frost talked on the early signing day, he sort of uh, feigned a little bit and said, well, if we find a quarterback in the portal that we like, maybe we'll try to really all along. I mean, not only were they after one, they were after two, and they told both of the guys they ended up with there, is this as simple as Casey Thompson and everybody else, or can you see a scenario where somebody else gets his name in the mix uh, over the course of spring ball? I mean, Casey Thompson has to be your odds-on favorite by quite a ways. I mean, just think about it from – I think about it from the perspective of Scott Frost, where you know you have to make a bowl game this year. You have to show some – some signs. And so unless one of those other guys is just, you know, far and away, yep. just far and away ahead of the rest of the competition, you got to go with the guy that, that has done it before, because it's not just this season on the line. It's your, it's your career at Nebraska that's on the line. And so who do you feel the most comfortable with? Do you feel the most comfortable with, with the guy who started last year at a major brand name program and, and balled out against Oklahoma? Or do you go with a guy like, you know, Chubba Purdy, who, maybe has all the potential in the world and he's from some good football bloodlines, but you know, he's, he's appeared in, I think three games as a reserve at Florida state, like which one of those guys do you feel more comfortable with when you have to win? So like, again, no knock on those guys. And I think it's, there's a ton of credit to the staff that they were able to land both of them. Um, you know, because you think about why are you in the portal? You're in the portal to, to ideally find some playing time and some opportunity elsewhere. Well, if you're if you're landing two guys, those are two players who believe that they can be those guys. You know, incidentally, the the Purdy Thompson thing to me, I think, works out really well for Nebraska because 
in a lot of ways, those guys are on different timelines, right? Like Casey right. Thompson's got two years left, maybe one if things go really well for him this year, whereas in a lot of ways, you know, Purdy, you can almost treat him like a high school recruit where he's got the full gamut of, of eligibility remaining and really whatever Thompson does or doesn't do this year, that still leaves a lot of time for Purdy to do something down the road. And I, I'm not going to count out a guy like, you know, Heinrich Harburg or Logan Smothers. Right. Either. Yeah, totally. Smothers, Smothers is the, the resident vet at Nebraska. He's somebody who we've both spoken with and is somebody who's not going to, I think, see this, this opportunity without a big fight. And, and Harburg has all the, the, the tools that you could want from a guy. He's the home state, hometown kid who wants to do his program proud too. So he's got a lot of motivation as well. I think overall, you look at, look at the last decade really of Nebraska football, where you kind of knew who the guy was going to be almost right. every year, right? Taylor Martinez, Adrian Martinez, Tommy Armstrong, like those were the guys and there wasn't a ton of competition. This feels like a, a true competition, if not necessarily for number one, then with quality of depth behind them for sure. Yeah. It's almost like sort of this like cascading series of questions, right? Like, Hey, can anybody challenge Casey Thompson for the starting job? Okay. If not, then B, how does the pecking order fall behind him? And then C, depending on how the pecking order falls behind him, what are we talking about at the end of spring ball? Are we talking about somebody looking for a better fit, somebody else or somewhere else? Are we talking about some bodies? You know, Nebraska has been at this point in the calendar with this sort of depth at quarterback, but they've never, and it's rare in college football anymore that you're going to have, you know, five guys on scholarship in uh, February and then still have those same five guys on scholarship by the time, you know, November, December rolls around at the end of the season. So interesting, interesting days ahead there. I, I just, part of me, I'm so interested in the approach of the two returning guys um, and what, how they, um, you know, how they fit in, what, what approach they take, how much of a run they can make. And then, oh, by the way, you got a guy who Frost talked about loving, absolutely loving his film and Richard Torres. We don't know if he'll fully be, you know, 100% healthy when spring ball starts, but it's like not, not very often does the quarterback who you bring in as a high school kid in the recruiting class fly so far under the uh, top level discussion as Richard Torres does this year. That's true. And oh, by the way, this fall, they're going to add Mikey Pauley, who the, the baseball yeah, right. recruit who had FBS offers to play for Kansas and Kansas State. So, I mean, you never know. This is the this, this is the perfect Evan Bland story. The baseball recruit slash quarterback. Worlds collide. There's no doubt about it. And yeah, I mean, who knows? Like he'd have to it'd be quite the story if he could. But Nebraska's had guys like that before. You never know. Yeah. Yeah, I know that that is that'll be interesting to see how he sort of uh, fits fits in in the summer. OK, later in the week, Mike Schaefer and I are going to talk in depth about the skill position. So we skimped on a little bit here. But before I let you go, Evan, you wrote a really good story about Trey Palmer uh, a couple of weeks ago. I'm interested um, about him in particular, because he's a guy there's, they're going to ask a lot of the, the two transfer receivers, he and Isaiah Garcia Castaneda. But Palmer has an interesting story long relationship with Mickey Joseph and the ability to help both on offense and in the return game, special teams wise. So what, what did you, I guess, what'd you learn about him in, in reporting that story? And, and what do you think he, he in particular brings to Nebraska? Well, yeah, I mean, he, he's high on my list of guys who I think will be impact players for a number of reasons. I mean, he, other than Casey Thompson, he's really the only one in this group who has been a, has a proven track record as a contributor in a power league. I mean, you've seen him 
return a punt for a touchdown, a kickoff for a touchdown. He's caught big passes in SEC games. Um, and he has a swagger about him. I mean, you, you listen to him speak. He's somebody who's very confident in his abilities. And I think that's something Nebraska has needed, right? Like it's been of all the things that have held Nebraska back under Scott Frost, one of them undoubtedly has been special teams. And particularly in the return game, you can just kind of assume it's going to be a non-factor for them yeah, right. every single right. week. And, and, and Palmer um, brings a certain explosiveness and a certain bravado that that unit really hasn't had maybe outside of JD Spielman uh, in 2018, yep. like it just hasn't been there. So I think, you know, that combination of his, his resume and this glaring opportunity and need that Nebraska has to fill that uh, is interesting to me. And then just, you know, on a, on a personal side, uh, like he told me, he, he knew he was coming here when Mickey Joseph came to Nebraska. Like he, he, that's how close they are. They've known each other since he was a freshman in high school. He's got a couple of young kids too. So it's, it's sort of the situation where Mickey Joseph has become sort of a father figure mentor to Trey Palmer. And it's not just about how do I get faster? How do I become a better receiver? It's how do I become a, a better dad? How can I, um, you know, maybe my kids come up from Louisiana and, and stay with you. Like it's that kind of thing. It's that kind of relationship. So, you know, I think there's a security like that, that he'll be here for a year and maybe two if things go well. Um, you know, and then on the receiving side of it too, like like we mentioned, there was a lot of opportunity outside of just a couple of returners that Nebraska has. And and it's been a while since they've had a receiver that can take the top off of a defense the way that Palmer is able to do as well. So really it's one of those deals where if he can do one of those things, whether that's on, on the receiving side or in the return game, if he does one of those things well, Nebraska is going to be a better team because of it. It's interesting, like last year when Samari Ture got to campus in January, you sort of felt his presence, even from a leadership standpoint, almost right away. You know, that, that was even a younger group than this one is. Obviously, they've got some returners, returning players who have played, you know, Omar Manning and Xavier Betts and, and some leadership potential there for those guys to go out and, and take this offseason. But you get the sense that Trey Palmer, just like you say, having young kids and having played for Mickey Joseph and understanding like what the standards are to play for Mickey, like that, it seems like he's got the potential and we'll see, you know, whether he's, we just don't know yet, vocal leader, behind the scenes leader, that sort of thing. But it does sort of seem like he's got the potential, even as a new guy to really have a big impact, not only in the way he plays, but just in that room in general. Yeah, it's such an interesting dynamic, right? Because like you have a new position coach and a transfer, and yet those two have spent years working together uh, they are, they already have a shorthand. So it's like, you can skip past all of the introductions and all the terminology stuff and just like get right to it. So I think that's another reason. Um, yeah. That you can expect a, sort of a, of a quick impact there. And, and just from a, the receiving position in general, man, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what the development power of Mickey Joseph can do to guys who have all the physical ability in the world, like Xavier Betts and Omar Manning Oliver Martin, I think you could throw into that mix too, just from, from what he's able to do and the testing scores that we've seen from him. But like, you know, that's, that's been a frustration under Frost with, at that position where you don't know, like, are they on this series? Why weren't they in on this critical drive at the end? Where were they on that, uh, you know, big third down play? Like you just never knew. And so if nothing else, if there's some consistency there, I think it's a step forward. And then you start looking at the track record, Mickey Joseph, has in developing big time guys. We all know Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, guys like that. Um, it's interesting. I think that's another really fascinating storyline to follow this spring and beyond. 
Okay, so uh, before we go, last thing, give me a guy who maybe doesn't come up first thing, uh, you know, outside of Casey Thompson and Trey Palmer. Like, who's a guy who who you feel good about? The Evan Bland under the radar. Who, you know, if you were doing a super six on offense, who is who would your sleeper be? On offense, well, I think I would probably. I, I might have to go chase Androff actually. Yeah. Like, like he was somebody who I like him. I like him. You know, I think he's going to this, be this happens. This happens all the time where you have the guys that commit early in the cycle and you yep. kind of forget about them and you get excited by the new guys that come in and that takes up a lot of focus, but you know, Androff quietly has had a, a very impressive high school career. He's got that, that quick twitch ability that Nebraska doesn't have a lot of, um, you know, honestly, it's not necessarily set where he ends up. I mean, he could, you could see him anything from being a tight end to potentially a receiver to maybe even a blocker, like a, like a lineman at some point yeah. down the line with yeah. what he can do. Like it's, it's somebody like that. Like you just take a guy like that and then you figure out the rest later, you figure out the roles and go from there. So I think he's somebody who maybe, you know, his name's not Decolist. It's not, it's not anything super right. fancy. He came in early. I think that's somebody who has the potential to, to be a really interesting player in two years. And again, the intrigue, is, is that he could kind of end up all over the gamut. And uh, so, yeah, I think he'll be someone fun to watch. There's there's not a lot of – Nebraska doesn't seem to get itself in that many, like, true, like, Big Ten recruitments. Like, Bryce Benhart was a guy like that. Nash Hotmacher, to some degree, was a guy like that. Um, but, man, Chase Androff, like, he was a guy that, like, Big Ten West schools won. You know, like, he, he was a guy that had that sort of interest. And so um, I'm very, very interested in how his career shakes out. Well, we could spend all day doing this. Uh, we will be back as this week goes along uh, to keep talking about Nebraska's 2022 recruiting class, but no better way to kick it off than talking with Evan Bland from Omaha World Herald uh, about a big, interesting, uh, and very important group of offensive players uh, in this cycle for Nebraska. Probably not done yet either. Uh, more on the offensive line, and who knows, with the guys that they've got coaching on offense now, you can't ever rule out uh, finding somebody else that they think can help either. So, uh, Evan, thank you for stopping by and doing this been fun uh for everybody else please consider uh, subscribing to husker extra you can find evan's work there you find my work there find the sip and sam showdown there which of course evan and i you know we're around sip and sam all the time uh but you can listen to them huskerextra.com only uh so check back the rest of this week for more on the recruiting class and thanks for watching and listening